Hi, and welcome to our Fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and thank you so much for joining us today. What follows are selections from our service on March 27th, 2022. In this video, you'll hear the reading and reflection. Following that, we hope you'll join us for a discussion where we go deeper into the service themes together. You're invited to check out this video and audio podcast each week. We post it on our website, Facebook, YouTube, as well as your favorite podcast streaming services. If you like what you see, we hope you give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the sharing and subscribing, this all helped to spread Fourth Universalist Media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the land of the Mutse Lenape peoples. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as we work to embrace the Eighth UE principle. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. Blessing in a time of violence, which is to say, this blessing is always, which is to say, there is no place this blessing does not long to cry out in lament, to weep its words in sorrow, to scream its lines in sacred rage, which is to say, there is no day this blessing ceases to whisper into the ear of the dying, the despairing, the terrified, which is to say there is no moment this blessing refuses to sing itself into the heart of the hated and the hateful, the victim and the victimizer, with every last ounce of hope it has, which is to say there is none that can stop it none that can halt its course, none that will cease its cadence, none that will delay its rising, none that can keep it from springing forth from the mouths, mouths of us who hope, from the hands of us who act, from the hearts of us who love, from the feet of us who will not cease our stubborn, aching, marching, marching, until this blessing has spoken its final word, until this blessing has breathed its benediction in every place, in every tongue, peace, peace, peace. The last time a war was on the news for weeks in the United States, it was Iraq. I was in high school and I remember it being shared over the loudspeaker when it finally happened during the morning announcements. And that was a very different war, of course. The United States was directly involved, our troops 
were on the ground, our planes were in the air. In that time, we were the aggressor, invoking claims to justify an invasion. This war is a different animal. Ukraine has gripped the Western imagination and united much of the world, surprising friends and foes alike. And in many ways, this unprecedented reaction is understandable. For one, we hardly ever see a nation seek to outright conquer a neighbor anymore. Also, this war is in Europe, a relatively stable place, evoking memories and fears of the Second World War. And in the United States, there are a large Russian and Ukrainian immigrant population directly impacted, family and friends abroad. Even my hometown in Wisconsin has a significant immigrant community of ethnically Russian Ukrainians. Perhaps most of all, though, the war in Ukraine offers compelling storytelling. It involves Russia, a mythic enemy of the West, acting in a way that affirms their villainy and our virtue. They seek to destroy a young democracy whose resistance and courage is heroic. Throw in the contrast between Putin, the tyrannical despot with nuclear weapons, and Zelensky, the charismatic man of the people, and the stories write themselves. The war in Ukraine no doubt deserves our attention. There is no moral way to justify the invasion of Ukraine, no way to defend Putin's actions, no way to ignore the vast and unconscionable violence and suffering that this invasion has caused. We all should be rooting for the Ukrainian people because an unprovoked war is a horrible thing. Thousands of people have died, including children and babies. Millions have been uprooted from their homes and their lives. Russia has bombed civilian shelters, hospitals, maternity wards, and has been indiscriminately shelling cities. There is no room for moral quibbling other than to understand that the Russian people are victims here too, deprived of freedom and peace by their own oppressive government. As Unitarian Universalists, as religious progressives, it's right to be in solidarity with the Ukrainian people and those in Russia fighting for the end to this war for the principles of democracy and freedom. It's no coincidence that our faith tradition had its own freedom fight. Revolutionaries like John Adams, Paul Revere, and Benjamin Rush were either Unitarians and Universalists and understood well the cause of democracy. Many were inspired by their congregations, which were not controlled by priests or bishops or popes who laid down edicts from above, but by the people themselves who were there. If it worked for churches, these revolutionaries argued, perhaps democracy would work for countries as well. Now, our faith's commitment to these values transcend politics and particulars. They are based in our belief that people everywhere, not just in America, deserve to have freedom, have a voice in their government, 
to have peace. Overall, the Western response to the crisis in Ukraine has reflected these principles. Sanctions, usually weak and performative, today punish Russia severely, banishing from them from the global econ economic system, upending the status quo, cutting Russia from world banking. Humanitarian aid has poured into Ukraine and refugees are being welcomed across the world. Weapons and supplies are being given to Ukraine to defend itself. The collective effort is unprecedented, and it has been largely effective. The invasion has stalled, and the economic impact on Russia has already been seen to be devastating. It is a profound warning to all those who threaten global peace and stability. Don't ever think of doing anything this terrible, it seems to say. And yet, as Unitarian Universalists, we also value reason as well as peace. So in any moment that comes up, we should pause for a moment. Even as we are unequivocal in our condemnation of Russia's actions, we should pause to ask another question about why this particular violence has crossed the line. Why this? Why now? And why there? We know there is no shortage in this world of greedy, tyrannical despots. There are no dearths of bombed maternity wards, no scarcity of refugees fleeing torched homes, no lack of people yearning for freedom, yet forced into oppression. We should weep in rage for Ukraine. But why are they more deserving of justice than anyone else in this world? Are they more deserving of our lamentation than those in Yemen, killed by bombs, dropped by Saudi planes, serviced and repaired by the U.S. military? Are they more deserving than the Uyghur Muslims in China, rounded up and detained in concentration camps, all by a country that we happily trade with, whose made-in-China materials are in everything we buy, we celebrate the Olympics, talking about global unity. Are China's concentration camps less deserving of punishment and international ostracization? These kind of examples are endless. Wars in Africa, Cameroon, and Ethiopia specifically have killed thousands and made refugees of millions. Syria and Afghanistan remain disasters. And in Myanmar, literally this week, a genocide was formally declared and barely made the headlines. I wouldn't have known if I hadn't been researching this sermon. I bet that's true for a good deal of us here, too. I understand there are reasons why the West cares so much about Ukraine, but even though that may be just outrage. It is also selective outrage. Our society picks and chooses who we care about. 
Journalists themselves have been unable to hide their biases. Speaking about the shock of this war, one spoke of, quote, this wasn't like Afghanistan or Iraq. This is a relatively civilized country. Another spoke of how Ukrainians looked like us with blue eyes and blonde hair and were well-dressed people. Another commented on how they too watch Netflix and have Instagram. The racism and ethnocentrism and white supremacy is impossible to ignore. Many in the West, especially those with power over our institutions, see themselves in the people of Ukraine. It is equally clear by the fact that we don't hear about it, that they do not see themselves in the people of Yemen or Cameroon, yet are not all lives equal. Is a Syrian killed by a Russian bomb any less an atrocity? Is a Guatemalan refugee terrorized by cartels not equally displaced? Do they not demand an equally just life, an equally just response? Even beyond the global stage, we see hypocrisy and who matters. In Ukraine a few weeks ago, we were appalled to learn that a maternity ward was bombed with children inside. And yet within our own country, because of poor health care and for-profit insurance, thousands of children die each year. These are preventable deaths that don't need to happen, like those babies in Ukraine. And they're far, far higher, of course, for black and brown children than white children, 2.7 times higher. Doesn't need to happen. But these children in this country die without the vivid imagery and the heroic storytelling offered by war, without the villain of Putin and Russia and their nuclear weapons. And so they're not worth changing the world for. We will radically restructure the global economy for war, but not the national economy to save babies of color. So let Ukraine be a moment of reflection. Let us ask ourselves, where do we draw the line of what is unacceptable? What counts as an atrocity? Whose lives matter enough to inspire radical societal change? economic change, whose lives demand and inspire sacrifice for the greater good? And how does power and identity and relatability determine that, determine the focus of our media, our politicians, and our national attention? We have to remember, as Unitarian Universalists, but also just as people who care, which we do, we have to remember the pernicious human tendency to believe, to paraphrase George Orwell, that we are all equal, but some of us are more equal than others. We must remember instead the words of Jesus, who once implored his followers to care for the least of these. Those who, of course, are not least in God's eyes, 
from the eyes of any thinking, rational, kind person, and yet are treated as if they are. It must become our spiritual practice to ask and remember in each instance that arises, who is being forgotten, whose story is not being told, whose life is being taken for granted, whose safety and security does not warrant our attention. So friends, weep and rage for Ukraine. Give money, give donations, and advocate. Weep and rage for the Russians imprisoned and tortured for their courage, too. But weep and rage and advocate for Cameroon, and for those in Myanmar, and for the Syrians and the Uyghurs, and for those American black and brown families mourning children who could have lived. The good news is that we have learned something. If we can change the world for Ukraine, we can change the world for everybody else, if we care enough to try. We can radically change the economy to protect the lives of millions. We can change it for millions of others. If we can sacrifice a little, pay a little bit more at the pump, we can learn that a few extra taxes to save some children here in the United States is worth it. It's clear it's no longer a matter of our ability, but our will. We have seen what is possible with Ukraine when we collectively agree that something is truly worth defending. May we remember all those others who are too. And may we learn to do the same. Amen and blessed be. Reverend Schuyler, it has been three long months and I've missed you. It's wonderful to get to sit down again. I missed you too and uh, missed everyone. It's, uh, it's nice to be back into the routines and rhythms and, uh, and the chance to, to dive into this, this work again and everything that we talk about. Well, and as far as diving in, you're, you're really diving in headfirst with a, a very topical sermon for your first week back. Yes, well, I, uh, you know, obviously the war in Ukraine is such a pivotal and uh, important news event right now. Um, you know, it's everywhere, front page of all the newspapers. It's been on everyone's mind for weeks. Um, and uh, when I heard that um, our wonderful family ministers hadn't... Um, been able to address it yet, it, it seemed like a really important thing, you know, for its universalist. And I think Unitarian Universalism in general, you know, we we really want to be engaged with the, the big topics of our day, right? It's not, a, it's not a faith tradition that that rests in the past or rests in theory, but is very much practiced um, uh, and engaged with the present moment. And so I felt like we had to, as a congregation, as a faith community, wrestle with what does this war mean for us? Um, and uh, and these questions will continue, particularly as this war continues. Um, I have been shocked. I've been I've worked for congregations for close to fifteen years, and I don't think I've ever had to give a sermon about war. Um, and that's partially on me, but I think it's also partially about how, in many ways, our society has been uh, uh, 
has been shielded from these unpleasant realities that take place in the world um, and, uh, and how we don't think about them happening in other parts of the world and, and how uh, we have been privileged to not have to engage with these questions um, as other generations before us have. Um, and so it was very interesting to talk about Ukraine, talk about war, because there's actually a whole, there's a ton of resources out there about war, but, but they're not ones that people have used recently in the United States because we have been focusing on other issues, other issues of justice that are perhaps more domestic. Um, but these, of course, apply to other international things too. And Ukraine has popped up in our consciousness. And so that deserves some conversation. Definitely. I mean, so you mentioned resources there. I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, what, what did you dive into as you prepared for this week? Yeah, you know, there's a ton of particularly older resources within Unitarian Universalism, but also other traditions, right, about, about peace, about nonviolence, about, um, you know, about what to do in war. And, uh, and those are all resources that, you know, unless you're talking, unless you have a reason to talk about uh, I haven't, I, they, they're, the, they're the chapters that I skip over or the readings that I kind of move past because if we're talking about criminal justice in the United States or about you know, climate change. Those, those readings don't necessarily apply to those specific things, but they may be really applied you know, when, when our faith was wrestling with Vietnam um, or Second World War, the Korean War, um, as you know, our tradition has been around for a lot of wars. Um, and the Iraq War, I mean, I talk about at the beginning that I was in high school when that happened. And I know you use a very, um, very involved in opposing that that conflict specifically, um, and uh, that was still you know, that's still twenty years ago. So a lot has happened in twenty years. So, you know, you mentioned uh, the Iraq the Iraq War, and I was also in the in the high school. I was in a very perhaps a, a slightly different context where we our school you know prayed that the war would go smoothly and the the military recruiter was in there every single week in the in the lunchroom, and uh, probably like a good portion of of our graduating class did join the military, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was it was a very pro pro war um, context to come from, <clears throat> and so to to think about the fact that it's you know uh, gosh twenty years, and with Afghanistan being its whole own thing as well. You know, there's also a sense that I think the war has become somewhat normalized in our, in our consciousness because it was just kind of that it, it's not a war unless it's a, a big declaration of a war, you know, that people are like, oh, well, that's just a drone strike. That's just um, an action that our military took. Those aren't wars. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a way that the terms have kind of shifted. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think it's important to note that. Um, I don't talk about this in the sermon, but this idea of, how we have become so desensitized to a sort of a globalized military reality. Uh, and of course, you know, that's, that is the nature of human existence since it's begun, right? Militaries have always existed in sort of peacekeeping situations or, you know, they were talking about Russia, right? And how, why, why Russia doesn't bring all of its military to Ukraine. Because, and the reason is because Russia's military is doing other things in other places that aren't exactly peaceful, right? They're, they're in parts of Georgia, they're in Syria, right? They're, they're um, you know, they've got other things that they're kind of managing that aren't peaceful uh, and that they need to be there in order to establish their goals. And same is, of course, true with the United States. Um, uh, and so I think it is important, right, that like you know, we literally just left Afghanistan like in the last couple of years. Um, um, you know, Iraq 
clearly is not what we hoped it would be. Um, you know, when we when we liberated it for democracy um, 20 years ago. Um, and so, but I think this is, you know, this is, there are real reasons why Ukraine has captured sort of the imagination of the West, which I talked about at the beginning of the sermon too. And, uh, and I think that's what's so striking to people is that this, this feels like a, like a, a moment rather than a sharp contrast uh, when others feel sort of like a lingering thing. And I think part of our, our work as Unitarian Universalists is to ask questions, right? Ask questions about, to not, to both take, be able to say unequivocally when things are right and wrong, you know, which I think Russia invading Ukraine is unequivocally wrong, um, but also to not just stop there, and which is the easy thing to do is stop there and say, yeah, go Ukraine, like we need to defend it, we need to do all these things for Ukraine. Um, we also then always have to ask, and then who else, right? And what else and why are we doing it here? And so the, my, the point of the message from um, this week was, is to encourage us to ask those questions, be thoughtful, right? Um, you know, what are the things that's, that, are, that are inviting us to care about Ukraine, but not about, what, not about the war in, in Cameroon, right? Or about the war in Yemen, um, about care so much about the, the refugees in Ukraine, but, you know, we have thousands of refugees at the southern border um, from Central America, right? Um, that we're not particularly worrying about as a society. Um, and it's not to say that that should diminish the crisis in Ukraine which is truly terrible, but that if we are going to have a globalized context, right? And a globalized sympathy, um, we, need to, we need to be inclusive, right? And, not, and make sure that the reason we care for people is not just because there's a great story, right? The big bad Russians um, who are mythic in the American and Western imagination, right? Uh, you know, the fact that, I, you know, I mentioned that some reporter talked about, they have Instagram and watch Netflix or, or something like that, right? Just like us. Um, as if you can't have Instagram or Netflix in Ethiopia, right? Um, because you can, and people do, and they have nice things there as well. Um, and even if they didn't, it doesn't make them, their lives less valuable or important or worth caring about, or their refugees, you know, less worthy of coming to the United States or Western Europe. So, so these are all things that I think, you know, you use at our best are people who, who are moral voices, uh, for the world, but they're also complicating voices because they recognize that that often the moral stories that we tell and, and are told are stories that inevitably are tainted by power and privilege, uh, by things like racism and ethnocentrism, right? And so, so we, we have to find this balance between talking about what is morally true and then also saying we can do that while also saying, and yet we can do these other things too. And we can say, we should, care deeply about Ukraine and also Yemen and Ethiopia and Guatemala and Myanmar, which had a genocide declared this week. Who knew? Um, you know, I, I, I would love to know. Uh, I thought about, I was, I, was, um, I was persuaded not to ask people to raise their hands about who knew that a genocide had been declared in Myanmar this week. Um, uh, and I don't, I wouldn't do it to shame because I didn't know until I was researching for the sermon, right? So, so there's no, there's no judgment morally individually on people, but this is how our society chooses, right? You know, there is not a genocide going on in Ukraine. There is a terrible thing happening there, but genocide is, is you know, unequal. I mean, you can't argue that that is, that is an unequal injustice, right? Um, but we're not talking about doing drastic steps in Myanmar.
Right. Well, and this this may not come as a shocker to you, but or to any of our congregants who know some of the courses that I've offered and you know speakers that I've brought in. Uh, but I, you know, I think a lot about colonialism. I think a lot about imperialism. Uh, you know, Errol and I usually have these conversations whenever Errol comes as a guest preacher. Um, so uh, I'm curious, how do we care about these things? How do we take action to help these things? Um, without slipping into like a colonial and imperial mindset, and especially into mindsets that then enable our government to act in ways that, you know, while may have some benefits, often also bring many negatives also with them. You know, so how do we how do we find that balance? Yeah, great question. So often help comes with string attached, right? You know, we're gonna um, we're gonna come and do this thing for you but we actually are going to lend you a lot of money that we expect to come back to us with lots of interest um, or we're going to have rights to that precious resource that you have uh, just so you know in your country that we will then use for ourselves so we're going to open up your fields for our corporations and you won't actually be able to own them yourself um, we have to be conscious of the power dynamics that exist when one country one set of nations intervene on behalf of another right and the temptation to use those use that power in that moment of vulnerability for that other country um, to dictate terms that ultimately are self-serving. Um, you know, I think oftentimes the U.S. and other Western countries, right, this isn't just a U.S. thing. Um, the Western, Western European powers um, uh, were, were and such are colonialist powers too, right? They, they still benefit from those same dynamics as we do. Um, to, to be clear that that it's that nations by their nature are self-serving um, and that's our role as religious people and people who are have an eye towards power and privilege which i think is the real the real cutting edge of what religious life directs us to in these moments right in this time right that that you, that you don't have ideology and you, you don't have moral action without a dimension of power and privilege also playing into right and that that involves a global scale as well. So we can be all for democracy. We can all be for protecting people in peace and refugees. Um, but we have to be very conscious of not using crises to benefit, particularly the powerful and privileges in our own country, right? Because this is often what it is, right? It's not like, it's not like the American people in general are benefiting <laughs> from the colonial work that the American government and corporations are doing, right? Uh, we see that with inflation in this country, that that corporations are having huge profits, CEOs are still getting huge raises, and yet we're seeing all those costs passed down to the consumer. And so it's not even that like Americans are benefiting from this stuff. It's that the corporations are basically profiting and taking it away. So we're not, we're not even getting that. So um, I think it's a classic story of people in power basically using that power um, to, to benefit themselves. And so you know, I don't know if we have enough information about if that's happening or how that's happening in Ukraine right now, but I think it's worth worth staying attuned to, particularly when huge sums of money are being moved around. And also, frankly, the, the, the weapons complex is a huge, huge money-making industry, right? And so, you know, how is that, um, how is that playing into it? Uh, we know historically the use of weapons and, and military gear and other things um, have become a powerful political tool. And so how do we... How do we ensure that that doesn't become a self-perpetuating industry, right? That then profits off of war and, and civil unrest.
my follow-up is perhaps a little bit less less daunting of a, of a question but um how do we how do we you know what are some some tips some maybe starter steps for switching to this more global view hmm. well i think that there are there are ways of simply reading the news that doesn't focus on ourselves as much. Um, you know, when you read something about a war happening in some place that you don't know, um, you don't know of, right? Um, Cameroon being a great example of that. It's hard and it's daunting to care about Cameroon and because we don't know the storylines, right? We don't know the characters, we don't know the players. Um, we don't have the you know, generations of, of moral storytelling around one side or the next, like we do with Russia, right, in the West. Um, and so part of it is, I think, patience, and part of it is being intentional about setting the time. Uh, and when you, instead of glossing over, oh, there's this one faction, this other faction doing this, being intentional about actually sitting down and kind of reading about what it is, research it. Sometimes, frankly, the American media isn't particularly good about international stuff. Um, uh, and so finding other alternative international sources, whether it's, you know, European sources that write in English, whether or not it's, um, uh, you know, certain forms of social media that are actually on the ground, uh, people, you know, NGOs that are there that are you know, led and directed by people who are actually involved um, so that there is some legitimacy there. Um, but it's difficult. But I think having that sense of, I think always asking this question, this is, this is a key religious question, but it's also one of, of I think, just sort of informed citizenry is always asking, you know, who, who is in power here? Who does that power privilege? Um, and who is being left out? Um, who is being forgotten? Whose stories aren't being told? So you can ask that series of questions, really anything in life, and that will lead you to a more just path. It's not a perfect thing because we are human beings and we are only able to do what we can do. But if you start asking those questions, right, uh, with everything, it doesn't lead to moral nihilism or an ability to take strong moral positions, but it does lead you to making sure that we're not privileging our own biases and the people who happen to be like us or elicit natural sympathy, like the Ukrainians have done to the, the Western world um, because they have Instagram uh, and drive nice cars and are blonde and blue eyes, I guess, as some reporters said, which, which is just wild, right? But that is, but being aware of those sort of things too, right? Our own biases and, and who who we feel connected to intuitively. Lauren Schuyler, thanks for a great conversation. And thanks for also just a, a, a challenging message to, to get us thinking for your first Sunday back. Thanks, uh, I hope you all like it and uh, let's work together to um, be part of the solution for, for world peace. I know that sounds lofty, but um, to let our eyes be open to um, all the people of the world, including those in our own country, um, who are uh, victims of, of this kind of oppressive abuse. Mm -hmm.